Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Kate, you know how usually we have a portion of the show we like to call grown-up things we like? Yes. Well, I am going to eschew that, and I'm going to tell you a kid's thing that happened to me yesterday that I liked quite a bit. Okay. I went to the Indianapolis Children's Museum. It is a cool place to be. I spoke to many school children there, and they had uh, some amazing exhibits I would highly recommend for people to go see. There was an Emmett Till exhibit, which they did not knowing there was going to be a movie coming out about his mom, so that was an interesting coincidence. Hmm. And, uh... Right by it, the Scooby-Doo uh, exhibit about you can go into a haunted place and try to solve a mystery like the Scooby crew. You know do. the news that just came out about Scooby-Doo. I do not. What is the news? Uh, it has been confirmed that Velma is a lesbian. About bloody time. They did a reboot of it at one point where she was with Shaggy and people were very upset about it, understandably so. Yeah, apparently um, uh, yeah. James Gunn back in 2001 uh, wrote her in the script as being a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Then the studios kept scaling it back, scaling it back, scaling back. And then eventually by the end script, uh, she had a boyfriend, which was like... Um, That's stupid. Yeah. It's just stupid. Well... That's great. Justice for Velma. Justice for Velma. There you go. And uh, besides Justice for Velma, what else do we talk about here on this podcast? Uh, Children's picture books. That's right. And why do we talk about them? Because you asked me to do a podcast about four or five years ago, and I said, well, sure, why not? And then it kind of turned into this. It turned into a whole thing. We never stopped. That's right. (laughs) And now we're going backwards, but who are you? I am Kate. And I'm Betsy. There you go. And now we've gone full circle, but backward circle. (laughs) What? Yeah, because that's how circles work. Okay. They can go forwards or backwards. Science with the English major. Yay, science, or physics, or whatever it is that makes circles work. We don't know. We don't have any of those degrees. It's a thing. Um, All right, so it is now officially spooky season. Yes. And I'm very happy I have another spooky book. I'm a little terrified because I don't have a spooky book after this one for next week, so... I'm going to right now, at the beginning of the podcast, before people have gotten bored and turned it off, just say, folks, if you've got another one to recommend, there's a 99% chance we've already done it before. But literally, if there's anything that's 20 years or older and it's a picture book and you think it's sufficiently classic-y, Halloween-y, spooky, scary. It doesn't necessarily have to be Halloween-y. No, no, no. It can just be kind of freaky. Yeah, love you forever. That's terrifying. That would be a wonderful Halloween. (laughs) I should have done it for Halloween and failed to do so. Hindsight is 20-20. This week's would not necessarily be called a Halloween book, but I think it is very much a Halloween book. Last week, you said that it involves a scarecrow. All right, here it comes. Ready? Uh-huh. The Little Scarecrow Boy. Bye. Scare- What'd you just say? Wait Scare- a minute. Wait a minute. Scare- beep, beep, beep. What was that? Scarecrow Boy. The Little Scarecrow Boy. Let's, little let's, scarecrow- wait, let's say that 20 times fast. Little Scarecrow Boy. 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 Okay, it works. Okay. All right. Who's by? 
Margaret Wise Brown. Who's it illustrated by? David Diaz. That's great. Uh, Margaret Wise Brown, does that name ring any bells at all? Runaway Bunny? Very good. Oh, and there was uh, also a little thing we like to call Goodnight Moon. Oh. That she may have done as well. She also had umpteen bagazillion books that were not published in her lifetime, and this is one of them. So it now it is all published and everything. And I believe Lark was the one who recommended we do this one. Nice. So, yes. I like that there's a sticker on the front of the book that says that it's by the person <laughs> oh, who wrote Goodnight Moon. Yeah. It didn't win anything except the fact that its author's famous. So it won the My Author's Famous Award. Read this book. All right. All right. While Kate does her read, let's have a little more information about Margaret Wise Brown. We've talked about her before. Yeah, you've heard of her. And I have mentioned The Trunk. Everybody knows about the trunk. Uh, There was actually an LA Times article I found called, and this is the title of the article, quote, A treasure trove of children's stories. Books. The discovery of unpublished tales and poems by Margaret Wise Brown will return the classic author to print with new works. So, as it reports, uh, 72 unpublished manuscripts were found in this trunk in rural Vermont, Uh, I believe they were owned by her sister, Roberta Brown Roche, who showed them to the publisher, Amy Gary. And Margaret Wise Brown died in 1952. So the trunk is full of 72 books that never made it to print. Now, the article really, really wanted to sound like every single one of those was a gem. A beaut. A thing that you could not possibly not publish. Eh, some of them are okay. It says that uh, some of them predict later trends in children's publishing. So, for example, long before such books appeared, Brown suggested a pop-up device for one of her stories. And she also wanted to use animal photographs along with her words for a different one, though when she suggested this, Ursula Nordstrom apparently wrote in, like, the margins, No! It would hit the note too heavily! I am adamant! No! I'm actually with Ursula on this one. Photography in picture books became popular a little later, after 1952, and has dated terribly. See our previous episode on The Lonely Doll. In any case, uh, this may have been one of the books that was in the trunk, and we're going to determine if it should have stayed in the trunk. Is it weird that I have werewolf bar mitzvah caught in my head? No. Okay. Tis the season. Tis the season for <laughs> werewolf bar mitzvahs and scarecrows. So, this is lame. <laughs> Which? The whole book. The whole book? It's lame. You don't find it weirdly freaky? No, it's really lame. Really? Because I found it freaky. So, it starts off saying, Once upon a time, in a cornfield, there lived the scarecrow. We were on board with this plot so far. And his scarecrow wife. Yeah, wait, okay. So, why why do we, as human beings, always assume scarecrows are males? Yeah. Good call. Because you know what? I I blame the Scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. Which, by the way, a gender-bent Wizard of Oz, where is that? Hmm. Where is that? I haven't seen one. And it's ripe for the plucking. Yeah. You know what it is? A female Tin Woodsman would just be too hot. (laughs) So they can't do it, you know. (laughs) No, but it was just something that I was like, why why do you have to say his Scarecrow wife? Yeah. why can't it just be like I don't know? Lady Crow. It was. It was just. It just made me think. Like, why do we always think of scarecrows as? Males? We tend to but. with with animated inanimate objects. I mean, we tend to associate male characteristics to them. Do we not? 
The obvious exception to that being the fish and Pinocchio, but you know, generally. But why? Do we find them more threatening that way? Less threatening that way? Is it because they're wearing pants and so I they guess automatically it's assume? Pants. Well, in this case, it's because they're wearing pants. Well, scarecrows. Right? But scarecrows wear... can be girls. They can wear skirts. Scarecrows could be females wearing pants. Yeah. Yeah. But we always associate... Anyway, we I'm, do. we're moving know. on. Anyway. This, is a, this isn't a scarecrow semantics at this point. So, old man scarecrow goes into a cornfield and makes faces at these crows, and his little scarecrow boy wants to come too, and the father says, no, you can't, you're not fierce enough to scare a crow, just wait until you're bigger. And so every day, the scarecrow boy waits and grows. He's never going to earn his father's love, by the way. He will be striving for it his entire life, and he will constantly be coming up short. This is your lot, Scarecrow Boy. No, he, his moment will come. Don't oh, you all worry. Right, all right, fine. But every day, uh, the father goes out there, and he waves his arm, and he makes terrible faces, and he scares away the crows, in which you can see, like, crow feathers flying all over mm. the pages. But I'm looking at the father and I'm like, okay, what is going on here? His head is disconnected from... Right. See, this is where I start getting freaked out by what he can do. Yeah. He has disconnected his own head from the connection on the neck. And then his teeth, I guess, are made of straw? straw? But but really well-organized straw? Like, very neat and tidy. Sure. Like a broom in your mouth. Right. Like a bunch of little brooms in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like a brush? Like a brush. There you like go. Like a brush. That's like a little broom. Yeah. In your mouth, yeah. In your mouth. Wait, what? Yeah. So they... Uh, it's so... the lips that just do it for me. Why does he have lips? Oh, there's a lot of questions there's I have. There's a lot of questions to be answered here. But first of all, let me ask you. So the father comes home every night, and he teaches his boy how to make fierce faces. Then it says... Old lady scarecrow. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We went from scarecrow wife. That's, yeah. That's how she was. She was starting fine. And then she moved on to old lady scarecrow. Old lady scarecrow. Pastor Prime scarecrow. Spinster scarecrow. <laughs> crone. Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Uh. Scarecrow. Oh, Margaret Wise Brown. Why did you miss out on that chance? Well, anyway, <sighs> something I find interesting is you look at these illustrations the David, the illustrator, made uh, all of them Caucasian. Oh, yeah, he did. Why? Because scarecrows aren't white. They're not any ethnicity. They're scarecrows. Because this book came out in 1998 and nobody was paying freaking attention. But you would think David Diaz would notice this. David Diaz did not. I mean, he purposefully made them yeah, all Caucasian. Yeah, he purposefully Caucasian. made them blue-eyed white-skinned people yeah yeah they're very clearly white like oh yeah yeah scarecrow i don't even know how you would get that shade of pink on a burlap sack which is usually what a scarecrow's face is made out of right yeah it's a there's a lot of mysteries here yeah so uh the next morning when the sun comes up uh you know the little boy goes out with his dad and his dad again is saying no you're not fierce enough to scare a crow you're just gonna have to wait until you grow and in the background, we have the sun rising. Mm. Now, we've had a sassy sun before. Yeah, what, you... what book was that, that we had the sassy sun? It I was... believe that was The Little House. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was quite, quite a sassy sun in that book. This, this is what I call the Monday sun. <laughs> it doesn't care. It's half awake. I don't know. This looks like the big brother is watching you, sun, to me. <laughs> like, 
Big Brother is watching you across the cornfield. I don't know. Obey I, me. I think it just doesn't care. It's you, got, oh, yeah. You think it's an ennui, son? It's, I mean, it's yeah. half awake. It's you know, like, it's like 6 a.m. Exactly. I don't care about this father-son dynamic. Yeah. I just need my it's coffee. It's not even looking at them. Yeah. It's like straight ahead. Could care less. Well, it's got the look in its eyes when you're thinking about something and then what you're thinking about is not what's going on in front of you. Maybe yeah. it's hungover, son. It could be hungover sun. There yeah. we go. What is a sun drink to get hungover? <laughs> anyway, so uh, so the next day, the little boy decides, you know what? I'm going to take everything my father has taught me, and I'm just going to go out and try it for myself. Though the text says he decided to go run away. He doesn't run away from home. That's a completely different phrase. That's a different phrase, yeah. He just decides to sneak out of the house early to try and do his dad's job. Can I how freaky I find their fingers, by the way. Their fingers, which are just basically worms that go in no particular direction and are terrifying. It's like straw. I, I guess. There's something <laughs> wrong with the straw. I'll eh. just say that. Eh. Anyway, so he slips out of the house. Um, he stands up on his father's post and he starts doing his first face. And the crows start coming, and his face involves sticking his tongue out. Now, Betsy, do scarecrows have tongues? This is a fun fact. They do not. Okay, do scarecrows have ears? They also do not have ears. Okay. Do they have lips? No, they have no lips. And, I'll just anticipate here, no teeth. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The tongue, by the way, that he is sticking out is very clearly... A flesh tongue. It is wet. It is there, wet. There is a it shine is made to of meat. it. Now, if you don't find that terrifying, a flesh tongue coming out of an inanimate scarecrow, what do you find scary? Because that is horrifying. I don't find it scary. It's a flesh tongue. It, but it doesn't, it just doesn't uh, belong. Like, it's not realistic enough for me to yeah, freak me out. It hasn't quite gotten to uncanny valley territory. No. no. So anyway, so the scarecrows, uh, you know, the little boy scarecrow is not scaring these crows at all. Mm. The crows are uh, coming at him. They're very intelligent birds, I should say. I like these crows. Yeah. These are the They're only, nicely drawn, yeah. These are the only illustration I like in the entire book. All right. Are the crows. I'm not going to argue with you. Actually. That's it. They're really good crows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, so he's like, all right, well, uh, I guess I'll try uh, another face. And he tries face number two, and that doesn't work. And he tries face number three, and that doesn't work. And face the- number three involves um, having his button eyes stick out so that the string is just barely holding onto them and then he's showing his straw teeth with his disconnected head. I mean, what that reminds me of that scene in Beetlejuice where she rips off her face and then her eyeballs come bugging out. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Yeah. But uh, the crows could care less. Yeah, no. Just like me. Just like in Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, and they're, the crows are eating the corn. Uh, the little... Yeah, I'm with the crows on this one. Yeah. Also, where's the dead? If, like, did the dead oversleep? Wouldn't he normally be here by this oh, point? Oh, the sun is most definitely out at this point. But maybe the dad just... Maybe he drugged his dad <laughs> to keep I, him asleep. I think the dad just likes watching his son fail. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So he's yeah. just going to keep watching this train wreck and mm-hmm. uh, just to see what happens. Yeah. I personally want the crows to tear the little boy apart. Well, that would be the inevitable next step. Yes, that's what when I'm hoping for. When they just get for. so I annoyed really wanted, by his... I want that to be the end. That'd be a book. twist. Right? And that's why you should never try, kids. 
Because <laughs> always listen to your parents and never try. And because crows will tear you apart. Because otherwise you'll be torn to shreds by crows. Yes. Well, no, that's not what this book teaches. Because he doesn't what? get torn to shreds. I know. I'm disappointed too. I'm a little disappointed. But in his fourth face, he tries sticking out his tongue again. Um, you already tried that. Didn't, didn't work the first time. I don't nope, see why it worked the second work. time. Uh, and then the fifth face, uh, you know, it's it's not working. And then finally, he decides to try his sixth face. Which apparently does scare the crow because, although I don't see how it's any different. I think it's combining all the elements we've seen before. Eyes right? popping out, tongue the, sticking the out. bizarre tongue. Head decapitated from the Yeah, the head's stick. definitely decapitated. And then you're seeing up the nose. And uh, straw teeth. And the weird straw teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a weird one. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's not. So the, the crows get... I don't know if they get scared or they get bored, but they fly they away. Be, they may be full at this point. Yeah. <laughs> they ate a lot of corn. That's true. Yeah. And then the father decides to finally come uh, to, to his, his sweet, sweet time. Yeah. Well, and he and he picks up the little boy into his arms and they go home to breakfast where the mother uh, made breakfast for this again that's her one job yeah you this is not really done anything till now you know yeah. last book you gave me a very domestic mother this book you I, we have a very domestic mother yeah i'm well, seeing a theme here betsy they were both made in the past is that is that the theme but this didn't have to have well does it actually say that the mom had created the breakfast or is that just the illustrator's interpretation it's well the text says they went home to breakfast uh-huh and she is holding, holding a tray of right. muffins. Because, as we all know, scarecrows eat. Muffins. No, they just eat, apparently. It doesn't matter what they eat. Yeah, I mean, they're probably corn muffins. There you go. What else she going to make them out of? Exactly. It's all she's got. Yeah. And then uh, the boy grows up to be the fiercest scarecrow in all the fields and all the world at the end. <laughs> well, you got your son on the end papers there. The son is, uh, is it still filled with ennui? No, it's happy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 Uh yeah. 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 So, um I'm just going to say that as scarecrow related children's books go, there is a middle grade novel for kids. So, this would be for kids between the ages of 9 and 12. It is called Small Spaces. It is by Katherine Arden. That book is one of the most frightening children's books you will ever read. And if you were not afraid of scarecrows, Evidently, you would not be after reading this book. Nope. But if you wanted to be scared of scarecrows, that would be the book to read. It is a delight. It is wonderful. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is already familiar with it. But if you're not, and you need something this holiday season that is about a scarecrow and is frightening, go out, find Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. Meanwhile, it's ratings time. Okay. Okay. You go first. Yeah, okay. So, um, not a huge David Diaz fan. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I was curious about this one, and I do find the choices made when it comes to these scary scarecrow faces to be fascinating. There's a lot going on here. The fingers are still the part that makes me just really not trust humanity anymore. (laughs) Um, Do I think it is a good book? So... This was one of those stories that was found in the trunk of Margaret Wise Brown, never made its way to publication. And people were like, oh, what gems are in this trunk? I have yet to see a single book from that trunk that anyone would say like, this is a great, great book and we should do some blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They're fine. 
They're fine. They're all they're they're very normal picture books. There was a reason that they were in a trunk. There may have been a reason they were in a trunk. Yeah. Yeah. They should have stayed in the um, trunk. They, well, this one probably should have stayed in the trunk. Yeah. Is it a great written work? Yeah. Is it a great illustrated work? Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like the freaky freaky aspects and the bizarre flesh tongue. And he does draw a mean crow. So I'm giving him a 3.5. Interesting. Yep. I I started my notes with lame. <laughs> but tell us what you really think. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I don't like the story. I wish the crows had torn the little boy apart. <laughs> I hate that they call the mom old lady scarecrow. I like that part. There's no reason they why. They should have been scarecrow. There's no reason why their white scarecrows should have, should not. No. They shouldn't have tongues or ears or lips. And I don't like the illustrations. It is a lame 3.5 for me. It is not, 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 not a classic. Oh. Did I mention it's not a classic? Because it's not a classic. Did you make it a 3.5 as well? I did. And oh, that's weird. I think, you know, Margie over here, she should just stick with the ghost, ghost grandmas like Goodnight Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be the creep Stick factor. Stick with what you know, Margaret Wise yeah, Brown. Because this ain't it. Yeah. It's a, not a classic. Should have stuck it back in the trunk. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we say it. Letters time. Ooh. All right. So last time we did The Shrinking of Treehorn. Yes. Um, which had a lot of love. A lot of people were really quite fond of The Shrinking of Treehorn. I was fond of The Shrinking of Treehorn. Absolutely. There's much to like about that book. It's a fascinating document, if nothing else. So Cynthia Von Bueller wrote in. She is also a children's author. Um, she once had a party that I attended that was the strangest party I've ever been to where... Uh, Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer had just gotten engaged and they were there and there were uh, there was burlesque and there was hot dogs and there was a two-person animatronic uh, monkey uh, merry-go-round on the, on the roof. You gave me a look. It's just a merry-go-round. It's fine. There okay. was art with live rats in it. It was a good party. <laughs> oh, there were people wearing uh, mermaid outfits and they were covered in oil because there had been an oil spill. She was on a bed with wheels. It was great. <laughs> she was a mermaid. She can't walk around. Right. She's not you know, a miracle worker. Anyway, she wrote in, okay. uh, and this is great. So what I was talking about, you Did know, she write in telling us when her next party is so that I can come? Oh, my God. She's got a castle in Connecticut. I wish. Cynthia, invite <laughs> us to your castle for a party. We will totally go. Um, in any case, she wrote in, and she's, we were talking about Edward Gorey and the thing she wrote in on, and she was like, I love him so much. I was supposed to have tea with Edward, and then he died the following week. I'm like, that is the ultimate rain check. (laughs) And then later, you know, we had that picture of the cauldron in the living room. Yeah. She said, I have a cauldron in my living room. (laughs) She does have a cauldron in her living room. So I was like, all right. To be fair, it wasn't in their living room. It was in their den. It was in their den. uh, But it was, and I told her, like, look, it makes sense for you to have a cauldron. It did not make sense for this particular family. They did not strike me as a cauldron-based family. Right. It was an unusual thing for them to have. Yeah. I would say, yes. Uh, Also, in the course of it, I think I mentioned at one point that I, as a child, once got a bubble yum uh, wrapper, and Mm -hmm. I could have gotten a free He-Man toy, and I didn't turn it in, and I've thought about it ever since. Uh, Gerald wrote in, and he said... Well, I won a Three Stooges Nintendo game from a tic-tac-toe scratcher and a bag of old Dutch potato chips, and I never sent it in, and I think about that all the time. Why didn't you send it in? Seriously, Gerald, this is how regrets for life are made. (laughs) But I feel his pain, because I never got that He-Man toy. 
Well, it uh, would have been one I already had, but it wasn't the point, Kate. It okay. was a free He-Man toy. Yep. Do you need to go to therapy about this? <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Grown-up things we like. All right. It was only a matter of time, but I had to review... Well, I had to watch and review Hocus Pocus 2. Okay. Curious about your assessment of this. Right. So Hocus Pocus, the first one, was mm. the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater. Really? Yes. Oh. Uh, it, it was like... 90, really? Yeah. Hmm. It's like 93, 94, something like that. Oh, wherever that is. Just, yeah. Huh. So I went in... And I've been a huge fan of Hocus Pocus even before it became popularized within the past like five years, ten you years. You were into it before it was cool. I was. <laughs> it was like your indie band yeah. that you were into. Yeah. So, so I watched Hocus Pocus 2 with trepidation. Mm-hmm. Um, Rightfully so, I'd say. Yeah. So, it, it for those of you who aren't familiar with the movie, it features Bed Midler, Kathy Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker, um, and it's playing on Disney Plus right now. And the three of them came back along with Doug Jones, who plays a zombie. Um, he, oh, yeah, they got the zombie. He came back, Billy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's back. I was really afraid they were gonna mess this up, but after watching it. I gave it a B minus. That's higher than I would have expected. All right. I was I was debating. How were the jokes? Well, I was debating between a C plus and a B minus. Okay. That, and what tipped it in the B minus's favor? Um. Well, uh, lots of folks are online are saying that it's not as good as the original. But let's be honest, the original wasn't exactly Oscar worthy. Thank you. Thor Birch was the worst part of that entire movie. And no. The no, weird no, no. virgin jokes are the worst part of that movie. The yabos. continual, the yabos jokes are also yes because the it's Thor Birch. Sex it's jokes. Thor Birch. She's the worst. Thor it, Birch is a little kid in that, right? Yeah, and she's annoying. Oh yeah, she is making those jokes. The movie. I'll just say the original Hocus Pocus was at that weird moment between the '80s and the '90s when there was still the inappropriateness of the '80s leaching into these '90s movies. You get it with Home Alone, and you get it with Hocus Pocus. Well, it's it's full of nostalgia and Easter eggs, which if which is what you want when you grew up with the oh, original. Yeah. Yeah. So I like the fact that they used a, a diverse cast. Oh, um, good. It's uh, the main characters were all females, mm-hmm. which is which I appreciated. Nice. Um, they had three songs. I could have dealt with just one. It was a bit too musical. They really only had one big song in the original, so... Right, they yeah. should have kept... it was kept... a good song. Yeah, and they should have kept it... it to one song in this movie. Right. They made it three. Because Are they trying it's... to get an Oscar? No. It's, <laughs> it's, it's Bette Midler, and Bette's going to sing, so she's going to do what she's going to do. I guess she'll do whatever she wants. Yeah, so yeah. I so it's between a, a B- and a C+, plus, um, but... Hannah Waddingham, who was in Ted Lasso, is in it, and she's wonderful. Oh, so. I like Hannah Waddingham. She's in it for like five minutes, but it's worth it. That, that might actually make it worthy for Okay. Me. Okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. it. All right. Um, my favorite thing I like is, is something that other people cannot necessarily appreciate, but I appreciate. I live next to two actors. Um, he's been on Broadway with Patti Lapone in War Paint. She tends to do stuff with the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. They are both starring in a production of Hello, Dolly. They are the right ages, and it's the right vocal range, and they are the leads. And that is cool. It is cool to take your family to go see your neighbors in a production of Hello, Dolly. Now, I had not seen a production of Hello, Dolly live, I think, since high school, um, when our mutual friend Meredith Arwady played the lead role of Dolly. So I didn't remember it particularly well. This production was stellar. The dancing was amazing. All the parts were played by amazing actors. The songs worked. 
the whole nine yards, except there was a part in it that I did not remember. And this is a part where there's a courtroom scene in the second part of the show. Dolly is there sitting at a table from the restaurant they have just left with the dinner that she had never gotten to eat. She then takes, it had to have been 10 minutes, 10 minutes simply enjoying the meal. Now this is stage food, which you know must taste like crap. But she is acting like this is the greatest thing. I was baffled by the scene. It was very good. I mean, she milks it. It's very funny. But I asked some friends afterwards. I was like, I do not remember this scene. They were like, oh, when Bernadette Peters played Dolly, this was added. And every subsequent version of Hello, Dolly has had it ever since. I had no idea. You don't remember that in the high school? Wait, we had it in ours? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I do not remember that. I just remember him saying he didn't like beats and... Her saying in a very adorable voice, uh, that's nice. And nah. then giving him more beats. That's, mm. That I remembered, but I didn't remember the eating scene. Yeah. Okay. Aww. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So my favorite thing is Hello, Dolly, and the obscenely long eating sequence. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, folks, I'm not even getting. I need another suggestion for another book. I, I kind of uh, shot my two big ones already and now i need i need a third at least and maybe a fourth as well yeah since this is a kind of a long month or a fifth or a fifth or a it sixth. doesn't have to we be we could just keep doing halloween books until new year's i'm that's okay with not that not going to happen but sh- sure but you know fall you know autumnal something classic folks help me out i need your help there's got to be something i just need to get my hands on it so this is my plea my plea to the universe. Okay. Okay. And until you people answer my prayers, I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our scare Drew is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate, Atienza, and Betsy Bird.